Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. This week, we are joined by Nick Harley from a company called Raygun, and we're talking about how they have built a really solid content engine that has powered their business to become a multi-million dollar SaaS business. They're based in New Zealand, have a team of about 40 people, and have been completely bootstrapped since the beginning. So today, Nick goes deep with us, talking about what their process has been like for building out a powerful content engine to drive leads and sales for their business. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we dropped an episode of the SaaS Marketing Show, so I hope you are going to enjoy this one. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming of one episode a week after this episode. Um, so yeah, I hope you find a ton of value in this. Thank you for listening to the show. Before we jump into the interview with Nick, let's just quickly talk about this week's show sponsors. So first up is Document360, the knowledge-based software that scales with your SaaS business. And if you're not already building out a self-service knowledge base for your SaaS product, then I really do recommend this is something that you take a look at because not only will it help your customers have a much better experience with your product, but a self-service knowledge base can also reduce your support requests by up to 50% as you'll be giving your users all the information they need to solve their own problems. So if you don't already have a knowledge base for your SaaS, head over to document360.io and claim your free 14-day trial today. And finally, we have Restream. So Restream is the software that allows you to broadcast live engaging video directly from your browser to 30 plus social networks at the same time. They power over 80 million live streams or 8 million live streams every single month and are trusted by companies like Cisco, IBM, Microsoft. And more importantly, I love Restream and I use it most days to power all of the live streams that I do. So they have a great free plan that you can use to test it out. And if you sign up using our special link, you'll also receive a $10 credit on your account. So that link is restream.am forward slash Dylan. Once again, that's restream.am forward slash Dylan. Now let's get into today's show with Nick from Raygun. As I said, I know you're going to enjoy it and I'm looking forward to getting the episodes of the SaaS Marketing Show back to the once a week and hopefully twice a week schedule very soon. So here we go. Enough of my intro. Let's roll today's episode. Hello, everyone. So today I'm joined by Nick Harley, who is the VP of Growth at Raygun. And Raygun is an application monitoring software for web and mobile apps that provides actionable error, crash, and performance monitoring. Nick, I'm really excited to have you here. Welcome to today's show. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. Real honor to be on the show. And thanks also for getting up early, bright and early, to make the time zones work for us. Appreciate it. No worries. It's not too early. Don't worry about it. So today we're going to be talking about how... Raygun has built a multi-million dollar business with a really solid and strong content engine. We're going to like deep dive into the content side of the business because I'm really interested to learn a bit more about that. But first, maybe you could just share with us, I know I said in the intro that Raygun is the is an application monitoring software, but maybe you could jump in a little bit more and tell us a bit about some of the kind of key metrics behind Raygun, the kind of size of the business, where you guys are at today. I think that would be a, a really great place to start. Yeah, sure. So the business has been going seven or eight years now. Before that, we were a company called Mindscape and we sold .NET tools to basically .NET developers and then built Raygun. But Raygun was so successful that we span out the company as its own entity. And it's pretty much been my entire journey across Raygun is just getting stuck in doing what needs to be done and just grown in my role to where I am now from where we started, which was pretty much nothing. So seeing that whole journey 
We're based in New Zealand, which uh, has advantages and disadvantages, but most of our com- most of our customers and most of our revenue comes from offshore. So mostly United States, UK, Europe, lots of early morning calls, late night calls for the team type of thing. And we've pretty much grown the business uh, organically to this point. Haven't really needed to take on much external kind of funding, which has been great uh, for the company. I've very much grown it organically, profitably, sustainably. Uh, not many people write much press about how much profit you make, uh, which is disappointing. Usually all the tech crunches are filled with the people who have raised huge amounts of VC funding. That's not really our cup of tea. And we're about, yeah, like I say, uh, about 40 odd people uh, now here in New Zealand. We also have an office in Seattle as well. And we basically create error crash and performance monitoring software and sell to software teams. So you might have heard of companies like New Relic, Dynatrace, Datadog, those types of big APM players. We we play in that monitoring space. And for those who want so technical, basically you would, let's say you're listening to this podcast on a Spotify or Apple app on your phone. If it crashed, you'd likely get annoyed with that, not really know what happened, try and reload it again. Software errors and bugs and performance issues are quite annoying for people, but you wouldn't really go and then try and contact the company and say, oh, I had this problem because it feels like a waste of time. So what Raygun does is integrates into the application and then it will tell the developers that you had that experience. You had experienced that particular problem at that particular time and all the diagnostic details. So they know it's happened and they can fix it quickly. So that's the, the quick version of our story. And I'm sure we'll dig more into the tactics that um, led to our growth in content and stuff and in due course. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I I also love having, as you said, in the kind of SaaS, the tech world, we all celebrate the big fundraisers rather than the highly profitable businesses sometimes, which is so weird and backwards when you think about it. So we have, I'll be honest, like the majority of the people that come on the podcast are usually those like VC funded that are celebrating the big fundraise. And then every so often we have a bootstrapped kind of SaaS business that comes on. And not to discredit the ones that have raised a lot of money by any means, but I find so far over this, like the 23 or 24 episodes that we've done, that when we're speaking to a marketer at one of these bootstrap businesses that has grown to this, like uh, grown to this point to be able to come on the show, uh, often the marketing kind of tactics and strategy is a lot more intelligent because there's been a lot less, you've had to be smarter with where you put your time and your effort and your energy. So before we get into just deep diving straight into content, I know that you have, you've been through a variety of, I don't know if roles is the right word, but it seems like you've grown quite a lot with Raygun too. Like I see on your LinkedIn, like technical marketer, sales and marketing manager, director of marketing, director of product, and now VP of growth. Tell us a little bit about your journey. And also I'm interested to know what the kind of growth and marketing team looks like at Raygun. I always find it fascinating how people have their marketing teams broken down. So maybe you could share that and then we'll and then we'll get into content. Yeah, sure. So if you go back far enough in my kind of history, I actually started out in my career, left school at 16, did a plumbing apprenticeship and was a plumber for 10 years or so. Now I'm VP of growth at a tech company on the other side of the world here in New Zealand. So what happened in between is usually quite a quite a story, but essentially got pretty bored in the UK and went backpacking for several months and then saw a bit of a gap in the market to create a a, a piece of software that was essentially front end uh, sorry front desk software for youth hostels and hotels like when you check in 
And I built a startup doing that and made a, a ton of mistakes uh, doing that as a first time kind of founder, but learned a lot, ended up selling the business eventually and moving over to New Zealand because I, I didn't really want to stick around in the UK and then just turned up in New Zealand with a bag of clothes and a bag of tools and just worked on building sites and stuff to earn enough money while I was trying to get into the startup scene here in Wellington and ended up working with several uh, companies just trying to get their ideas off the ground and did did three or four years of doing that before the opportunity at Raygun kind of came about and I really wanted to join because it was like a global focused opportunity which is somewhat rare here in New Zealand like people don't really think big enough and it would seem like a global opportunity it seemed like a big in market it was something i could get started in use my skills that i'd developed while i was building startups to get it off the ground and kind of that's what we did and now i after being in a director of marketing role for quite a while i now vp of growth which basically covers marketing customer success and business development here and that's, that's what I kind of love about digital marketing is you meet people from all sorts of backgrounds and they just fall into it and uh, get stuck in and you can self-teach yourself various things. And just it's, it, it's really interesting hearing how people actually get into the industry. And, and my own journey is meant to that is like you don't really have a career path. You just get stuck in, you start learning it. You can learn a lot online. You don't really need a degree and all of that type of stuff just to get in and, and, and start doing it. So that's, that's the short version uh, there. And our marketing team at the moment consists of three people. We're, we use a couple of external agencies for a few things, but generally speaking, we're, we're using it all in-house to grow our marketing presence. So we basically do all disciplines of marketing from marketing automation, SEO, content. It's all in there and we'll just continue to grow the, the team out over time. But it's really split into kind of generalists, really. But Freya, who's our kind of content specialist, she drives our content arm or tactic now. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. So, how what what kind of split? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is a good question or not. Actually, but like, what what kind of split of your lead generation is coming from content? I know later on we're going to talk a little bit potentially about thinking about marketing attribution and automation too and i know like running a paid media agency that works with SaaS companies like attribution is a extremely tricky area and it depends on so many levels which is why i realized me asking you how many leads come from content isn't the best question but like how big a portion of the business is content like how do, do you know what i mean i'm just trying to get the at the how much of an impact content is having for you guys and how much kind of time and energy is spent there and then we'll get into the strategy of how you've built that out yes yeah it's a good question if you go back to the start of the company we didn't really have any money so we use content to just put articles and uh, target specific keywords that we could try and get blog traffic for because as marketers we had full control over the blog almost and we just used that as our kind of main acquisition channel and we built the blog up to be one of the the key drivers of traffic for us so if we would just turn off paid advertising and do nothing for a few months we would still continue to get trials because we built that kind of continual engine these days we we try and do as much content as possible but trying to scale the team across three different products um 
in quite a large market and to cover all bases. It means we probably don't do content as highly as we did before, but we built the engine for our inbound trials off content in the early days because it didn't really cost us that much to just go and write some stuff, put it out there, start driving some traffic to it. And like you say, the the attribution to content is extremely difficult, but you you can do it by looking at, say, Google Analytics to say, what was the landing page that somebody came in on? Was it blog-related or content-related? And then does that actually have the goal of getting a trial sign-up? But often you get the question, we can dig into attribution a little more, but you get the the question of like, why should we invest in content? Is it working or not? But what content does is it gives you this kind of long tail, continual visitors, continual trial signups. It, it compounds over time. I'm a big believer in doing activity that does compound over time. If you were to just fire money at uh, paid newsletters and pay-per-click ads, you might get a spike based on that spend but then the spike ultimately drops again. Uh, Whereas content and doing good SEO can deliver month after month perpetually forever if you really want it to and you get good at it. So most of our efforts at the moment are are geared around product marketing and trying to speak to the pain points that our audience really have and how our products can solve that for them. So our content's shifted more from just purely driving traffic to us to a little more pointed in how we actually deliver the content to the pain points that our audience has. Okay, cool. So let's dive into a couple of those points that I'm really interested in. I know, so the people that listen to this podcast, we have a variety of like early stage SaaS founders and marketers, as well as the larger VC backed companies. So there's, like, there's a wide range, but I know people really seem to enjoy when we talk about how we built things out or how we started. So you've built this content engine now that is like really supporting the business and helping the business drive forward. You mentioned that you have a marketing team of about three people. So a lot of people listening to this will be in a similar spot, like small team, a couple people. How did you get started with content? Like what did the actual kind of process look like when you started to build out that engine? And then in, in a little bit of time, we'll get to how that's adjusted over time and, and where you guys are at now, focusing a little bit more on product marketing. And I, I want to ask you some questions around that. But let's just, for those people that are listening, because everyone that runs a SaaS company or works in SaaS marketing, like content marketing is always the the kind of first go-to marketing initiative and activity. And there's so many reasons why it makes so much sense. Like you talked about with the kind of compounding effect of that and how it can continue to grow the business over time. Yet there are so many different, of course, like conflicting opinions and advice of how to do content marketing. We have, we've had a couple episodes about content marketing so far. I think we've had one or two and both of them have been completely different with their approach. So it's always good to hear how other people have done things and seen success so that the people listening can cherry pick from these two or three episodes to start their first kind of tests and experiments. So when you first got started and when you were first thinking about building out this content engine, how did you begin? Like, where did you, where did you start? Yeah. So in the early days, when you're getting started, the easiest thing is to use tools like Moz or Hrefs to go into your target industry to find keywords. Uh, that you can find high volumes of traffic for. So in the early days, we would find things that developers, um, software developers, technical people were all searching for. And that could have been anything. We did a post on 
how to set up your desk or workstation as a course. So we did a top 10 workstation examples that drove a lot of traffic. We did the biggest software errors in history, which drove a lot of traffic, even to the point where some of our competitors copied the exact same content and put it on their blog years later, because they probably went into these tools and found how much traffic it was generating because you can do that competitor analysis now. But yeah, certainly in the early days, it was just about how do we find pockets of our target audience and what kind of content are they going to actually click on to visit us? Because once you get them on your site, they see your brand, obviously, but they, you also can put them in retargeting audiences and start to use the traffic to bring in more people over time. And so it's purely in the early days of how do you drive as much traffic as possible to your website? And that usually means that the keywords that you can go after and you can find using these tools might not necessarily fit exactly with what you do. But if you're speaking to the right people and your target audience is these people that are interested in this topic, if you can get them back to your blog or your site two or three times, they start to just see your name and they're more likely to click on things like PPC ads or branded campaigns because they've heard of you before but they might not be able to recall where. So that was the earliest iteration of content of just how much, how many people can we get to the site that are relevant to us? Because when we talk a bit more about attribution, be interested and dig into it, but a lot of the time marketers base their decisions on intuition. There's no real data like that you can point to, but you're just going to know it's right. And if you can be, speaking to your target audience and the certain personas you want to target just through intuition you know that they're gonna start to come visit your content see what you're doing they might go visit your product pages just get them on the site that's the first first iteration of content and then as, as that's progressed over time blogging as a channel as slightly uh, reduced in its effectiveness so we've started to shift to a bit more of how do we solve the pain points for our audience because technical people and, and generally people they want things that can help them be more effective in their job give them some resources or some guides or some content that helps them be better and that's fundamentally the best way to market to them because you're helping them be better in their careers. And once they consume this content, they start to trust you a bit more. And, oh, you've given me some value now, so I'll go check out more of your stuff. So, yeah, it, it depends where you're at with your kind of company stage of, of where you're going to focus your efforts. But certainly in the early days, it's about dr just driving as much traffic. Sure. I think one thing that you said that is really important around the driving as much traffic, but then also making sure that you have some kind of follow-up flow in place whether it's like even just making sure that you have all of your advertising like pixels installed so that you're collecting that because that's one thing that i see a lot actually is like at the early stage people invest a lot of time and energy into content to just drive as many people as they can to the site full well knowing that if you look at their conversion rates in analytics for example like many of those blog posts aren't converting to trials just yet which is fine like we know that's not always the purpose but if you don't have anything else in place to like follow up with those whether it's just a remarketing sequence or whether it's just something simple like that's something i think it should be everyone should do at the very 
minimum based on what you just touched on too because we just want to bring them back and continue building this kind of brand affinity at that early point and supporting them with stuff and if we don't follow up with them then there's there's a lot lower chance of them coming back yeah that, that's 100 right what is the purpose of getting them to the site in the first place is it to read the content or is it to then retarget them on linkedin and twitter and all the rest of the channels because linkedin's so powerful as an advertising platform these days because you can actually once you've got your audience then you can refine it down to your exact persona that you want i want to target product managers at this particular company size and with this skill set it's more expensive but once they're on your site and you've retargeted them and they're in the audience then why not just retarget them on linkedin to the persona you actually want so doesn't really matter how much traffic you're driving there because you can filter them out almost with your your advertising channels and your retargeting to be a bit more granular to the people you actually want to convert. Yeah, that's a good point. Because I just, when sometimes when people talk to me about content and just trying to drive as much traffic as they can to the site, I get a bit worried that a lot of them, they do that, but they don't think about the end goal. It's like their goal is to get 20,000 people to the website or their goal is to do this, but they're not thinking about how that's actually going to impact things. And I think that's the difference between like where you said you haven't taken any big VC funding or anything else. It's like everything is focused on trying to help the business grow. So you're always going to be thinking with those end objectives in mind as well. Now from the like content engine perspective, like how did you start to build this engine out? Is that, do you have um, systems in place for like, okay, this is our clear SOP or our standard operating procedure for like how we create a content piece for how we do keyword research. This is our frequency of that. These are the like writers that we may work with like how, how do you start building that out once you've started to once you've started to publish the initial content you're starting to see some people come through to the website and you you want to make this into a scalable channel or a channel where you can make it as simple as possible like how did you guys go about doing that yeah so in the early days a lot of the content writing fell on myself or the members of the team but yeah. Like you say, that doesn't create an engine at that point. It just creates a bottleneck. The real answer to your question is that we hired somebody specifically. So Freya is a fantastic member of the team, has built out all of those systems and processes. And so she uses Trello to have a content backlog and she has a pool of writers that she works with as well because so, our products and our industry is quite technical. So we use a pool of technical writers that we've built up over time that built relationships with and she'll put out a request to say we want some content on these topics and they pick them up over time and she's basically gone from writing a lot of the content herself to managing a pool of writers and they deliver her and then she'll just go through and tidy up any of the content, load it into our CMS system. She will optimize it for SEO. She will add any images to the post uh, that's necessarily and things like that. And yeah, once you've got it going and you're keen to invest in it, you need some kind of system, like you say, to to manage the backlog, what keywords are you going to write about, do the research on the keywords that are actually going to bring in the traffic and then have a pool of writers that you can go to and delegate some of this content. So rather than you having to write it, how can you get other people to contribute to your funnel of content? So that, that's how we've done it today and it's working well. But I'm quite lucky in the fact that I've got Freya there who's who's able to manage it far better than I could ever could. Yeah. That's, that's the best way to do things. That's what we're doing like with the with my agency right now is just systemizing absolutely everything we possibly can. Like we use Notion as our kind of internal wiki yeah. and hub. And it's I have 
everything laid out now this is how we do this this is how we do this like it's super i think as you're starting to try and grow something and scale something you have to have these processes in place for so many different reasons if you're hiring making it as easy as possible for that new starter or that new person in the team to understand how you guys do things and what the process is to to save time as well it's really important because ultimately when you're leading like a growth or a marketing team of course content is super important but your role isn't writing blog posts right if you were to spend all your time writing blog posts you wouldn't have time to work on the kind of things that are the high value activities for you are you doing any because when we talk about content naturally everyone goes to seo and like blog content right obviously you're here on the podcast today you were telling me that you guys are starting to set up like a bit of a studio in the office where you can do these kind of podcasts so I'm guessing podcasting is starting to become an angle or a strategy. Like what else, when when it comes to content, like what else do you guys do? I know earlier on you touched, I don't know if you were doing it yourselves, but you talked about like some paid newsletter sponsorships, for example, and other things like that. Like what other content initiatives are you guys working on? I'm really interested to find out about that. Yeah, so we've got quite a few because we have fundamentally spoke a lot about the kind of written content, uh, but, but content can have a lot of different channels that you can put that content down. So We've done recently a Tech Leaders series, which is our thought leadership panel style events, which then we can turn into content as well. We've historically had our CEO, JD, on lots of podcasts and stuff, talking to more technical audience, but we just feel we've been in it for a while now. We know generally what what we're doing so why not just get on as many podcasts as possible like this one because it's just good time really like chat about this type of stuff. We've got a newsletter that we started called Performance Matters, which we have a roundup of general industry trends in the performance monitoring type category that our target audience will sign up to, uh, which is proving pretty effective. And we've also started doing more webinars now. We hired um, a guy called Andre who's just, I don't think there's anyone better (laughs) at running uh, kind of webinars and things like that. He's just really good at it. So we didn't previously have that capability before, and now we have. We're using that uh, as another angle, and we've started, as we've built out the team, we now have more people to own more of these things and build out more channels. So we've got a, a cadence going on of webinars, of training videos, people on podcasts, the newsletters, and we're building up this kind of general, uh, what would you call it? There's lots of different angles that you attack your target audience with and they hear about you through various different mediums and that seems to work quite well for us yeah it's the way to build brand too that's the most important thing it's like if you're providing content for people on everyone likes different forms of content some people like podcasts some people like webinars some people like to read like if you're positioning yourself effectively across all of those with stuff that's going to support your target audience and they're going to like that's how you start to build up this affinity. Like when we interviewed one of the marketers at Drift and he came on the show, he runs their paid and their SEO team. And he was saying that Drift have built such a huge brand because of all of the different initiatives that they do that like when it comes to any other marketing initiatives, whether it's paid, whether it's like sponsoring something that naturally their conversion rates that they see for for him for bill who came on the show is like higher than anywhere else that he's worked before and it's they don't they can't 100 percent say hey it's because of this but we all know that it's because of the kind of brand that they've built and the presence that they've built so i think it's super important and it's something that a lot of people overlook is i think there's a power now in almost like positioning your marketing as though you're 
a media company for your target buyers. Like, of course, you have all of the product stuff that you'll be doing and all of that marketing, and it's important to be talking about that. But hey, if you can become the place that your target buyers go to learn about their industry or hear from their peers or anything else, like that's a really smart play. And I think it's become more people are doing that since this whole, since the way the world has been over the last six months, right? But I think this is a really smart angle to marketing is thinking more about, okay, what can we do to to just put ourselves in a spot where we become that kind of go-to for helping the people within our space. Cause ultimately it may not pay off immediately in terms of, Hey, we're going to see this like spike of trial signups or whatever, but from the benefits over time through that brand affinity, through the people telling other people and like sharing content and everything else, it has a, it has a huge impact. It's just hard sometimes to nail down exactly where that's come from. You know what I mean? And I think that's why it puts a lot of people off is that attribution piece. Yeah, I, I think Drift have done a, a a great job. To be honest, we we often point to them as yeah, they've done they've done a really good job at building their brand through their content. And like you say, the attribution piece is is always a, a touchy sub- subject for marketers because how many times do you get asked by somebody, "Is it working?" They show me the numbers or something, and you go, "Organic traffic's up and direct traffic's up," but I don't really have a reason. I can't put it in a spreadsheet. I'm, I'm quite lucky at Reagan that our, our CEO kind of kind of gets it. Uh, but I speak to a lot of marketers and they use all these kind of tools to do multi-touch attribution modeling and they spend thousands of dollars on it. And then you, you say to them, what, well, have you got the answers then? And they're like, no, we still don't really know. And so it's just fundamentally hard. But as, as marketers, you just have to try your best. Like you, I think people are so, they're, they're so caught up in the the measurement of digital because you can see how many impressions you got. You can see how many clicks you got, you can see how many conversions you got, but it's it's only really if people click stuff, right? You you can't really attribute a billboard down the road or like right. your events and stuff that people just walk past the booth and see the brand and then they go Google it, all this type of stuff. But you just have to fundamentally try, use UTMs everywhere, you use the campaigns section in Google Analytics just to pull that report so you have some kind of data because you wouldn't, you don't want to come home and then your partner says, oh, hey, I've put all of our money in this penny stock. And you go, why? And they're like, just trust me, it's going to work or whatever. That's not a good answer for anybody like when you go into your, like, your CEO or your leadership's office to say, yeah, I've just invested in this, but just trust me, I think it's going to work. It's not it's not right. very confidence building. So you've got to say, look, we're, we're going to do this stuff and we'll probably see an increase in our direct traffic over time and that's probably how we're going to know it's going to work because we can't really measure that. But, you know, why, why is Google Ads so effective? And it's because it's less click attribution, right? It's the, the intent. Somebody clicks on it, they go sign up, so it's always going to be better. But, yeah, actually getting to the answers of your yeah, market attribution is Yeah, possible. it's a very interesting balance. It's like why I try not to talk too much about attribution sometimes is because it really depends there is no right and wrong answer with attribution there is no right or wrong way and it's so something that you said it really heavily depends on how the organization that you work at and how the leadership team how they see attribution too because as you said it's if you have a if you have a ceo or a leader who understands or thinks from the same perspective of like drift for example or what we've been talking about where it's like we know that if we do these marketing activities, we push these initiatives, it's going to build this affinity, this awareness. And ultimately, that's going to lead to more people knowing about us, which is going to lead to more 
conversions there is no smooth way to to like show that but if you have a if you have a marketing leader that understands then it's then it's okay but if you have someone that is so fixated on the numbers it becomes really tough because even when you start doing that multi-touch attribution modeling and looking into these things it's like in the software world and SaaS world you look at someone's user journey and there's so many different touch points there's okay they'll maybe they'll see a maybe they'll see a google ad and they'll come through to the site and then they might leave and then they might see a remarketing ad and come back and then they might go and, they'll probably go and research the competitors of you guys and then maybe they'll come back directly in two two weeks time or something and it's like, okay they might convert on that direct visit but does that really mean that the who really owns that conversion? There is no one that owns that conversion. Like the whole engine, the whole team, the whole business owns the conversion. But I think a lot of people don't see it that way. It's one channel has to own this conversion. And that's where it becomes really challenging because you can show that. You can show, hey, look, they converted from this campaign or this channel. But if you don't take into account all the other steps that were involved in that process, then what's the point of even saying, hey, this is why they converted? Because we all know that it's not. Yeah, exactly right. And if you try and put it all in a spreadsheet and go deliver it to somebody, it's just not going to be accurate. It's going to be lies, basically. But yeah. I, think, I think the mistake that um, a lot of people run into is they try and measure every channel using the same metric. So let's say you've got Google Ads running and you have trial signups from that. Don't measure it in the same as like how many trial signups do I get from an event because it's just going to be fundamentally different. Um, so having specific success criteria for each initiative you're doing is pretty important. But yeah, I'm yet to find a marketer who's solved that attribution piece. It's just a, an ongoing challenge and you just have to be confident in doing your plan, using your intuition. Marketers are smart people who know what they're doing every day, which then like you can say, oh, I put this LinkedIn campaign live last week and it seems like our trials have gone up, like, but can you prove it? maybe not so just having the faith in the marketing team to go are we hitting the right audience with the right messages and have confidence that you if you continue to do that you will see success but yeah, yeah exactly yeah this has been awesome well nick look, thank you so much for for coming on the show today i really appreciate it it's good to hear a bit more about how you and the team at Raygun have built things out uh, we'll start to wrap up because i know we like to try and keep this kind of 30 35 minutes otherwise people start to tune out but if anyone wants to find out a bit more about you guys it's pretty clear they can just go ahead and do a search for Raygun. i know that they'll find you very easily is there anything else is there anything that you really wanted to anything that Raygun are working on right now that you wanted to share with people or wanted to send people to no, we're a product designed for software developers. If so, if you ever hear your team moaning about they can't reproduce a problem like a slow page load speed or an error, then that's where we can help out. But I think generally we've been pretty busy building our products up over time and uh, we've got quite a good suite of them. So now's a kind of scaling up type phase for us. And obviously the current climate's difficult for everybody and everyone's feeling the pain of that. So I think surviving... Through this time as a team, we, we've done pretty well and we're in pretty good position. And that's probably thanks to the work we've done previously to be in a kind of nice, stable company. But I know everyone's doing it tough right now with the whole COVID situation. So stick together, people. Yeah, thank you. It's been great having you on the show. So I really appreciate it, Nick. Thanks. Thanks.